0: In real life, I think it's pretty fun to try to figure out how the world really works. And, you know, I don't think we need to do these uh, made-up superstitions in order to have fun with the world that we have. From the University of Toronto,
1: I'm Randy Boyagoda, and this is What Now? I hear cranes, I hear children, I hear buses. I am in the middle of a bustling city here at the corner of university and college and we are about to go into what I still call the Hydro Building, 700 University Avenue, where we are going to be chatting about chance. You were born on Friday the 13th.
0: I was born on Saturday the 28th. What's the difference? (laughs) Well, I would argue there there really isn't much of a difference because I don't believe in the superstitions, but uh... A lot of people do, and in fact, my, my second book for the general audience, Knock on with, talks about those kind of things, and in particular, I think there's a real human need to want to explain the reasons for everything that happens to us. So the fact that I, I didn't even realize until I was an adult, I mean, I always know when I was born on the 13th, but I didn't realize it was a Friday until I started using like a calendar agenda program as an adult. And it's like, hey, I was born on a Friday. And that I, explains everything. <laughs> well, I mean, sort of the opposite in a way, because, you know, I consider myself to have been quite a fortunate person, so things have gone.
1: Jeffrey Rosenthal is professor of statistics at the University of Toronto. Where he works on Markov chain Monte Carlo algorithms. He's also the author of best selling books published around the world, like Struck by Lightning, The Curious World of Probabilities, and Knock on Wood Luck, Chance, and the Meaning of Everything. He's dedicated to spreading the knowledge and wisdom about the workings of randomness and uncertainty. When I was a kid, my parents won the lottery. I thought this meant we would be fabulously rich and famous. Instead, my parents used the money they won to repaint our Honda Civic. They painted it the same color. Afterwards, they kept buying lottery tickets. My parents still buy lottery tickets. Do you buy lottery tickets?
0: Why do people buy lottery tickets? <laughs> I never have bought a, a, a typical lottery ticket and... Uh... Part of the reason is, you know, I've always felt, well, I don't want to just have money handed to me. I want to work hard and make my Mm -hmm. money the old fashioned way. But uh, as I got more into probability, I just came to understand just how unlikely it is that you're going to win one of the big jackpots. And, uh, you know, whereas a lot of people might buy the ticket and then dream about all the fun they're going to have if they win the jackpot. I felt I couldn't really dream about it because I just knew that it wasn't (laughs) going to happen. Um, That's all separate from the point that you kind of make, which is that even when people win the big jackpot, it doesn't always lead to happiness. Sometimes they... uh, they lose their friends because they can't trust anyone. And then maybe they're not sure what to spend their money on and they lose it. Or they. Or know, it's do very drugs practical. Or... It's a very practical thing. Let's repaint the Honda Civic the same. <laughs> well, company. yeah, but you could do
1: that. <laughs> now, one of my childhood memories is going to a Becker's in Oshawa, Ontario and lining up to get lottery tickets. It was a kind of recurring feature of life growing up, going to a retailer in a convenience store and buying a lottery ticket. Now, as I understand it, you've had some experience in this area as well, perhaps not not on one side of the counter, but maybe trying to make sense of what was going on on the other side of the counter.
0: Yeah, so there's what became known as the Ontario Lottery retailer scandal. It became this huge news thing that I was involved in from the very beginning. So the, the CBC Fifth Estate uh, investigative news program, they called me up and they said, hey, they have one case of a nice old man who played the same lottery tickets every week and uh, one week he you know he he was told at his local convenience store that he didn't win but then the next week he saw that owner of that store cashing in his ticket for a quarter of a million dollars and they said hey i wonder if this has happened before so they had Mm -hmm. me do statistical analysis of how many of the people who'd won the major lottery prizes over a certain period of years had actually been people who worked at the lottery stores Mm -hmm. And yeah, just for, for clarity, is that allowed? Can, can I, as a retailer, can I buy a lottery ticket? Am I allowed? Yeah. So it used to be that there were no restrictions whatsoever. In the aftermath of the scandal, they did make, make some changes to the rules. But in that case, there was no restrictions and nobody had ever really monitored it. So then we went back and looked at it. Mm-hmm. and We found sure enough, there were a lot more of the people winning these big prizes than could be explained based on the, you know, the number of locations and the average number of people working at each of these stores and the average number of tickets they bought. Mm-hmm. We sort of looked through all that and said, you know what, there's way too many. And then became this huge thing, sure. it was like front page news, and it was you know, the lead story on all the newscasts and everything, and and a lot of people were outraged. They thought, you know, the lottery company hasn't been fair with them and so on. And I was sort of amazed, because you know, in my case, I don't buy lottery tickets. I didn't think I was the victim here, but still a lot of people felt really outraged. And then it ended up leading to, you know, debate in the, in fact, the Ontario provincial legislature, which we can see from this very window. And mm-hmm. uh, it ended up leading to police investigations and the CEO of the lottery company got fired and my several goodness. people got arrested and jailed for fraud. and. I wasn't involved in all those other investigations, but I was uh, right at the beginning with the CBC and make it happen. And so it stands as the, the most famous thing I've ever done. My goodness. Yeah. There you go. Statistics. Except can put you in jail. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: <laughs> During the pandemic, I'm curious, uh, from your vantage, when and how did probability show up in ways that made sense to you?
0: Yeah, well, probability and statistics have been very important in trying to understand the spread of the pandemic. Um, One thing I think about a lot is what sometimes called the uh, the reproduction number, which Mm -hmm. is supposed to be that, on average, each new person who's infected, how many other people do they infect? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that if it's more than one, like let's say it's two, well, that means one person on average is going to infect two other people, and then they'll each infect two other people, so that's four, and they'll each infect two other people, so that's eight. And it grows exponentially quickly, as we say, so that's why pandemics can spread very quickly and a lot of people can get infected in a short period of time if the reproduction number is high. Whereas if the reproduction number is less than one, like some people don't infect anybody and maybe half the people infect one other person, then the numbers are going to go down and down and it's going to disappear quickly. So all the you know mask mandates and the distancing and the, all the vaccinations, all the things we try to do to prevent the spread, I think of them all in terms of this reproduction number and trying to keep it low. Now, beyond the pandemic, I'm curious
1: in more general terms, given Uh, both your academic research and then some of your some of your kind of more broader audience work how can prediction making help or hinder us in life do you think
0: well i think predictions can help a lot so they can help us to plan more intelligently like if we can see that a lot of new families are moving into a neighborhood we know in the next few years we're going to need more schools or we're going to need more playgrounds or Mm -hmm. a lot of old people are moving in somewhere then we're going to need more hospitals and so on so i think uh Making smart decisions that are sound investments and so on can only be done with uh, sensible predictions. So I think to the extent that we are able, which we can't always do, but to the extent that we're able to forecast what's going to happen next, I think that can help a lot. Mm-hmm. What about hindering, though? Can predictions kind of prevent us from, I don't know, taking chances when we want to or make us more mm-hmm. risk-averse than we should be? Well, if predictions are wrong, of course, then they can send us to going the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, But generally, I tend to think the more we know, the better. I mean, I know there can be limits. Like there's the classic question they say, if you could know exactly when and how you're going to die, would you like to know or not? And a lot of people would say no. You know, they say, I don't really want to know that. That would take away my mystery. But we're not there yet. We're not predicting exactly when anyone's going to die. But generally speaking, to the extent that we can predict the trends and so on, I think that can help us. Bad luck
1: versus good luck. Coincidence, chance. I think it's fair to say that there can be a lot of fear and also fun at play in these features of how we make sense of our lives and the world around us.
0: Does the discipline of statistics get rid of both fear and fun? Yeah. Well, it can certainly reduce some fears. Um, like I sometimes use the example that I used to be kind of a nervous traveler on planes and I'd always be worried, oh, is the plane about to crash? Is the wings still attached properly? And so on. And so uh, on. And then I, I learned that, you know, less than one commercial flight in five million has an accident that involves fatalities. And I understood how small a number that is that now when I fly, you know, I just don't worry that the plane is going to crash. So that's just one example of many where we can look at it rationally in terms of statistics and decide, you know what, we don't actually have anything that we need to worry about here. And you also asked about can it, can it take away the fun? Yeah, and I mean, that's yeah. something I get sometimes where, you know, people say, but you know, once you analyze everything, you saying, you know, this is all there is, is, you know, scientific knowledge and, and rational decision making and so on. And people will like to believe things, you know, like uh, fate and superstition and karma. And, you know, some people are just born lucky and all these sort of magical forces. And in real life, I think it's pretty fun to try to figure out how the world really works. And, you know, I don't think we need to do these uh, made up superstitions in order to have fun with the world that we have. So then on that very point, uh, I
1: think you just put that very well, that it, it, it can be fun to figure out how the world works. So what's fun about statistics specifically as one of the many disciplines we can use to figure out the way yeah. the world works?
0: Yeah, well, one great thing about statistics is that it can sort of apply to almost everything. As one statistician put it, you get to play in everyone's backyard. So, mm-hmm. um, for example, just in the last few months, um, I did one paper with some astronomers, which was studying a computational problem in astronomy. So you know, out of this world, if you may say. And I did a project with people in the Ontario Coroner's office looking at... Uh, different manners of death and how they were affected by the pandemic and so on and um, I did something I know you're a basketball fan I believe I did something related to the basketball game uh, horse and Mm. the probabilities for that and uh, I would say you know that's the kind of thing that that's very broad and you know it's very exciting as a statistician to be able to look at all these different fields um I should say I started out as more of a a pure mathematician Mm -hmm. and I like that a lot too and it's fascinating pure logical mathematics but you know, you can't chat with people at parties about it. You can't just work with somebody who seems interesting. You're just really stuck with your very narrow field. Whereas once you get into statistics, it applies to so many things. So it's been great for me. Um, my dad
1: buys lottery tickets. He's also a retired chemistry teacher who's perhaps much more excited and impressed by, shall we say, the, the science and data side, side of university life than maybe the humanities side. <laughs> I feel like I should be able to excite him, though, (laughs) if I can tell him that I've learned something about the Markov chain Monte Carlo. (laughs) Sounds to me like a professional gambler's move, or something related to math, so kind of a double win for Randy. What is the Markov chain Monte Carlo?
0: Yeah, well... So the idea of uh, Monte Carlo algorithms are ways to have the computer use randomness to help us compute things. So they're named of course after the famous casino in uh, Monaco, but that was just a name to illustrate the randomness. But I think a good na- analogy is to think about taking a public opinion poll and mm-hmm. you think, well, if you want to know how everybody's going to vote, you know, we have an election coming up in Ontario now, and you could ask every voter in Ontario, but we don't have the resources to do that. So what do the polling companies do? They take a, a random sample, right? And that's the idea of using randomness to get a random sample. And if you do a good job with that, you can be pretty accurate in your forecast. Well, computers can do kind of the same thing. That is, they can take complicated models, whether they come from a physics problem or, or a medical study that's that's trying to model the spread of a disease or something. There's all different ways that we have models with all sorts of variables and so on. And to compute everything exactly would be just as hard as asking every voter how they're going to vote. But if we just take random simulations or random samples and sort of average them out, we can get a pretty good idea. So that's the basic idea of Monte Carlo is use randomness to try to mm-hmm. compute things. And it turns out to be a very powerful idea. Okay, but then what's a Markov chain? Right, so Markov chain is a, a version of it. So Sounds like a band from the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of bands in the 90s, it's named after a Russian mathematician from the early 20th century who developed the initial mathematics of it. But what it is, is it's a certain kind of way of doing randomness. So most of these things, just like with a public opinion poll, every time you call somebody new, you're kind of starting from scratch. You see, okay, we'll kick another random number mm-hmm. and call someone. But Markov chains, they don't start from scratch. They base it on the previous one. So if you're doing a poll, it would be kind of like, instead of calling people at random, wandering around the province and saying, hey, what about you? How are you going to vote? And okay, you're not here about this guy, how is he going to vote? And that's not as good because, you know, the next guy you find is right near the first guy you found. Mm-hmm. So they might be related. They might not be uh, a fresh unbiased sample, but if you wander around long enough, you're still going to get a pretty good sense of the whole province. But so, why would you prefer to do that, though, Rex?
1: Right? to your point about randomness versus it's more likely we both have the, a similar view about universities and public
0: funding or something. Right. Yeah. So you'd rather not. You'd rather do a fresh random sample every time. But it turns out in some of these complicated problems that we put on the computer, you can't. We don't I have see. any feasible way of doing a. Completely random thing. I mean, it's, I mean, it's almost like if you were trying to pull the province, but we didn't have telephones. Mm-hmm. What would you do? Well, you can't call someone in North see. Day right away, but you can wander around so and given talk to this So given the constraints, it turns out to be a much more feasible way to do randomness. And it's become hugely popular in all sorts of fields. And you know, my work on markov chain Monte Carlo, or MCMC as we call it, is you know, hugely important because lots of people are studying and using these algorithms because it's the only way we can do these so things. So now, okay, last question maybe
1: on this front. Is there a Rosenthal chain Monte Carlo? Is there an Allison Chains Monte Carlo? Okay. Rock, paper, scissors,
0: hey! Ooh, the mm. you.
1: And, then, and now, now we'll do that. Okay, I, I lost
0: the one on video, okay? <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can ruin me with this video. Do you like the sex tapes or something? <laughs> Almost the same gravity. Almost the same thing, <laughs> yeah. right.
1: <laughs> the Boyagoda Rosenthal uh, <laughs> Rock Paper Scissors <vs. laughs> sex tape I, I think so This could ruin me What Now is a production of University of Toronto Communications It's hosted by me Randy Boyagoda and produced by Lisa Lightborn Follow us and listen wherever you get your podcast.